I would often joke with people and friends that were close to me uh, about the fact that, you know, I don't want to have kids or that, you know, kids are so far in the future when behind the scenes, my wife and I were trying to have kids and it just wasn't working. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. If I can help just one person find a solution or at least realize they're not broken or alone, then writing this has been worth it. You can pick up the book exclusively at Amazon or signed copy at secretlifenovel.com. And the best way to support our podcast is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or rating on Apple Podcasts yet, please do. It'll help more people find our show. And if you want to be a guest, shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves and others. You know, those deep, dark secrets we probably want to go to our grave with, or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Shane. Now, Shane, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? It's the moment of truth, right? The moment of truth is here. (laughs) And I know you've been doing such an incredible podcast. I've been listening to people's stories Mm. and how honestly they're sharing and how vulnerably they're sharing. And this might seem really anticlimactic for a lot of people, but for me, it's the my secret is that for a number of years i would often joke with people and friends that were close to me uh, about the fact that you know i don't want to have kids or that you know kids are so far in the future when behind the scenes my wife and i were trying to have kids and it just wasn't working see that to me is one of those secrets that if when you hold that stuff to yourself it puts all this pressure and this like you know on you do you feel that even saying that out loud right now Yeah. I mean, the conversation is that it seems to be like it's this secret that exists about protection rather than about necessarily feeling like it's a lie to people. It's more about this kind of putting up these walls or these barriers around you to almost protect yourself from the reality of the conversation. Oh, believe me. And my story is not even compared to yours and we'll get into yours, but I've We had, you know, I had a miscarriage while I was working on a show and away from home and it was devastating. So I know how difficult when you are trying to have a child and and something goes wrong or it's not working out, it's devastating. And then people ask you, what happened? Yeah, I think that's the big conversation, right? Is that it comes up quite regularly. And and my wife and I, we've been married for 12 years. Mm -hmm. um, And so it's a conversation that comes up all the time. And we've got, we're kind of in that stage of life where all of our friends are having families and, you know, it's the conversation. It's every time you have that conversation, it kind of, it's almost like this little tiny dagger that kind of keeps driving in a little bit deeper. Yeah. It's like a dagger in your heart. It's like, It just takes your just takes a little. So when did you guys start trying? Can you take us back to the beginning? Did you want kids? 
Yeah, I think we always, to some extent, have wanted to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, we started um, a career and kind of focused very heavily on our career really early on in our marriage. Um, we kind of, in in some ways, we flipped what a lot of people do. A lot of people tend to, you know, they get married, they buy the house, they have the kids, and then then they kind of start to ask, you know, well, what do I want to do with my life? Whereas we kind of didn't really do all of that. We kind of just jumped straight into career. We studied. We start. I started a business, and mm-hmm. then we started getting to that point where we're like, maybe we want to travel, and so we started traveling and. And then, and then we kind of were at the point where we're like, we actually really would love to start a family. And we kind of had this assumption that when you're ready to start a family, that's, that's just when it happens. Yes. It's just easy. It just falls into your lap. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, this, the conversation started a few years ago and um, we were like, okay, well, let's just kind of, you know, let's just kind of wait and see what happens. And we're kind of expecting. And then, you know, for probably about 12 months, we kind of just we're having the conversation and just kind of expecting something to happen. And then we were like, okay, no, we need to get a lot more serious about this. Let's really start trying. And then for a couple of years now we've been trying. And again, you start to, we describe it as, as um, riding the roller coaster because again, like you, you find yourself getting excited and then all of a sudden let down and then excited and then let down. And we try and tell each other every month, we're like, okay, don't jump on the roller coaster. Yeah. And, but you know, how do you tell yourself not to get excited about the potential of something? It's impossible. It's yeah. literally impossible. You're trying to play like a Jedi mind trick on yourself <laughs> because yeah. you get so attached to this hope or this possibility. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you a really hard question. And if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to, but have you guys gotten pregnant? No, we haven't. It's still a conversation that we're having with people. Yeah. Are you, and you're going to doctors or looking in, into it? Yeah. Which is everything? always the interesting part of our story is that we've, we've gone through to the doctors and we've had conversations and mm-hmm. in, in theory, everything should be fine. And that's, this is where the kind of the tension that we try to reconcile within ourselves is this, is that like our, our understanding is that everything should just happen naturally and everything should just it should just happen. And then mm-hmm. yet we find ourselves at the end of the conversation, at the end of every month, having conversation with each other going, it didn't happen again. And so this is this hard thing to reconcile is that like, okay, where is the disconnect between what we want to happen and the reality of what's happening? Wow. Have you tra- guys tried IVF for anything? No. And I think for many people, I mean, even people listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. there'll be people whose story is, you know, much longer than ours and, and, and much more detailed than ours. And, you know, we, we've only been trying for, I guess, a couple of years now, but mm-hmm. um, I guess we're still in that stage where we're kind of um, seeing where things go in a natural path. And, and um, I guess we'll find out, I guess we'll start having more serious conversations about that soon. But yeah, right now we're still just kind of, we're not in, in a rush, but at the same time, it's still, it's still a bit of a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, like I told you, I had one miscarriage and it broke my heart. Mm, so I understand every month trying to figure out why it's not happening. And then for me, I don't know about you guys, but I have mo- I had moments where I was like cursing God. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know where you're like, you know, fuck you. <laughs> like you're just like, <laughs> why do you have to do this? Because it is, it's devastating. I mean, can you tell me how the conversations go with your wife, especially as a woman? Yeah. I mean, she's remarkable in in these mm-hmm. conversations. And, and, you know, it's funny that you say like we get into those places where we kind of curse God or mm-hmm. we kind of hold a, a set of beliefs about the world, whether it's, you know, a belief about God or whether it's a belief about the universe, whatever it is, we tend to hold it. And then when things don't align with what we think or what yeah, we believe, what we, want we to start happen. to, or what we want to happen, we, we do a couple of things. We either 
And I think you would see this in the conversations you have. We treat it as this secret to be kept because it kind of doesn't bring any alignment to our life. And so what we do is we put it away, we put a wall around it and we pretend it doesn't exist. And that's kind of where these secrets kind of brew. Or the other alternative is that we assume that it's some kind of puzzle or riddle that we need to solve. And so what we end up doing is trying to figure it out. out. Yeah. And so what we end up doing is rather than being silent on it, we end up seeking all these external sources to try and bring validation to it. And so we go, okay, well, we'll, we'll figure out who runs the universe and we'll blame them for something that's, you know, that's taking place in my life. And, and it is, it's challenging. I think part of this is those beliefs that we hold about, you know, what we expect or, or what we want to happen. And so we had to kind of, um, in our conversations, really go back to the core of what yeah. we believe about things and ask ourselves, what are we holding to be true? And does that truth serve us right now? Wow. I mean, you are much more evolved than me. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say that. I think it's just ongoing conversations, right? Oh, it completely. And also like turning it over. I love that, you know, the core, because I, we would just turn it over and be like, everything happens for a reason. Everything works itself out in the way it's supposed to work out. But I have to say, when you get down to these, you know, as, as humans, we're there to create procreate, Mm. right? So it's like, it kind of hits though at the basic core of what our bodies are supposed to do. Yeah. And again, like part of this comes down to that, what, what do I believe to be true? Mm-hmm. And if, if my belief at its very core is that I'm supposed to start a family and I'm supposed to have X number of children or that I'm even supposed to be in a relationship. Some people might even be listening who I'm in at that place where they're in a relationship yet. And if yeah. their core belief is that this is what I'm supposed to be or what I should be, then anything that doesn't align with that, they're going to feel like they've fallen short of this mm. standard that they've set for themselves. And I think often a lot of the conversations I have with people is that belief needs to be held really tightly and really loosely at the same time, which might seem like a complete paradox in one sense, because belief needs to be held tight enough that you can hold onto something and stand on something in moments where you need that or you experience that fragility. But it also needs to be loose enough in the sense that when a belief doesn't serve you anymore or when Mm -hmm. a belief may not necessarily be helpful or true, we need to be able to let it go. And that's a really difficult challenge to know when do I need to hold tighter and when do I need to just let something go, right? Yeah, because you want someone to be like, okay, now do that, let go a little or hold on to that hope and that belief. But it's like- When, when do you know that's the correct thing to do? What do you, do you get down on your knees? Do you turn it over? What do you do in those moments when the month comes and it didn't happen again? Yeah, what do you I think, do? I'm asking you, like, what do yeah. you do? <laughs> I don't know. I think every month we experience something different. I think we have a different response. And so some months we, we just reconcile ourselves to the fact that we go, you know what, for a long time, we've been trying to start a family and we got to the point where we go, okay, what does it look like to reconcile this idea that it may never happen? Mm. And like, that's a confronting conversation to have. And I go, so what does that mean? What would I tell myself? And, and, and I know you love Brene Brown's work and she often yeah. talks about the stories that we tell ourselves. And so we often kind of keep ripping back the, the layers of the onion almost in a sense to ask ourselves, what are the stories we're telling ourselves? And so when we go, okay, it didn't happen again. Okay. So what, what does that mean? What is the story we're telling ourselves about that? And if we were to really go deep, it's like, what's the core belief? And I guess the belief that sits deep down into all of that is that if this doesn't happen, then in some way I'm, I'm a failure or, or we're not enough. And I think that's the most dangerous part to this conversation. Well, I also believe, and when you just said that, it it rang so true. Every time I was willing to just let go and let Mm. be, 
Um, I was talking, I, this is my, it's, it's a roundabout way, but this morning I was talking about how I hate vision boards. <laughs> you know, people make those vision boards. You could love them. People are listening. I'm just going like, to hide my vision board for a moment. Just, <laughs> just put it behind you. Don't let me see it. But we were having this intense conversation, my husband and I, because he believes in vision boards and I do not. Because mm. for me, a vision board represents fantasy. It represents like, these things you want. And that's very tricky for me because it's better for me to like sit in what is and be in Mm. gratitude. And I can't do both. And that's what you're talking about to sit in what is. So this month we didn't get pregnant again. What if Mm. we never do? Can I be grateful for how life is now? Will I be okay if we don't have a family? Yeah. And that's the question. That's important. And the moment you choose and say, I'm okay just as I am right where I am, whatever size family I have, whatever size house I have or career, whatever. Mm. I love, I love the perspective of the gratitude places over our life because it grounds us in, in what we have to be grateful for right now. And I, I've been reflecting a lot on this kind of idea lately that in, we experience life in all kinds of ups and downs and highs and lows, peaks and troughs and seasons. And sometimes they happen like over years and sometimes yeah. they happen over moments, right? You can have this really high moment and this really low moment. And the thing that I've been reflecting a lot lately is it's so important when you experience those really high moments, those moments of elation, that you that you really dig deep in humility and remember that like that there are people who are experiencing um, those kind of trough or those down moments, and then at the same time when you experience them for yourself, to really dig deep in community and remember that there are other people who can help and and that you can reach out to in those moments. And so as we navigate this again, like the roller coaster of the ups yeah. and downs, like we just got to remember that there are people that are there willing and ready to kind of join us on that journey. And it's true. And I have to give you props for, you know, reaching out to me and willing to talk about this because I also, the other question I really wanted to ask you was as a man, how is it affecting you? We always talk about how it affects a woman. It's her body. You know, she feels the loss because it's attached. How is this for you as a man? Do you feel powerless? Do you feel like you don't have any control yeah, and in some sense that as a as a husband, I, I look at the way um, it affects my wife, mm-hmm. and obviously it's a very different conversation for a woman that's going through this journey, um, and and so there's this part of me that that grieves with her and for the way that she's feeling, um, and at the same time, also I, I reflect internally and go, okay, so what does this mean for me? And some of the stories that I tell myself about masculinity and Mm -hmm. about, um, you know, this kind of standard that I set for myself. So again, you go like, okay, am I some kind of a failure? Did I, you know, what's wrong with me? And I think every conversation that has some shame or, you know, attached to it, we often go straight internally and go, what's wrong with me? Yeah. That's the first thing I think everybody thinks, unless you're like the Dalai Lama and you, you, you have it all together, but what's (laughs) wrong with me. But as I just, this question, have you actually mourned? Mm. Yeah. And, and, and in one sense, no. And in the other sense, every month, do you know what I mean? Like there's the, there's the feeling of a loss of the, 
of what could be every time you you take a you know pregnancy test and it comes out negative there's that you know you you try to we often say to each other don't don't get on board the roller coaster and what we mean by that is is essentially don't start to kind of go three or four steps ahead of where we are just yet because yeah. again you start to go okay well what could it be like what is what is our life going to look like what do we do with our career and our jobs and you start having conversations about the future and then all of a sudden you snap back to reality in a sense that well it um, hits you in the face it hits you, pick you in up the that face, little yeah. piece of plastic and if the two lines or the x or whatever is not yeah. there your heart goes into your chest again and what do you yeah. do what do you, you and your wife do now do you just talk about it right after do you yeah i think a, a big piece of the this is around is the conversations and the communication i think it's which is in anything is so important to recognize mm-hmm. that we can both be telling ourselves stories and the moment you start to externalize those stories, you start to realize just how fictional they are yeah. or, or how unreal they are. Right. And so we, we can tell ourselves a story in our head and we can create this, this scene and this narrative that's taking place. And, you know, often describing the metaphor is like we, we sit in a movie theater and we watch the movie on the screens and it, and it can feel like we're detached from it and it can feel not real. And all of a sudden we can go, yeah, well that's fake. And that doesn't, that's not real. But often in our own head, we jump into the movie and we start playing it out. And all of a sudden we feel like we're part of it and it's real. And I think it's so important to be able to externalize that, have conversation about that because it makes it, it disconnects from the reality of it and helps us to see some of the fiction in our own stories. Yeah, because we all, I mean, they have a saying for it in, in my program, you're addicted to fantasy, negative mm. or positive. And you go in and you play the whole scenario. And have you ever had those moments where you're like, wait, snap back into reality. That's yeah. actually not happening. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Absolutely. like it's like a mind trick. But I yeah. always I always like to take these kind of secrets. And I know it's a secret to protect yourself, and which I love that mm. we're talking about it because I do believe there's moments in life where you don't share something if you're not on the other side of it yet and it can protect yeah. you. But I like to attach them to these seven deadly sins, not in the mm. religious sense, more in the character defect. So let me name them for you and let me know if any of them ring true for you. So we have pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Like the one, immediately the thing that stands out to me, like at a personal level level that I see a lot of coming through is that sense of pride. Mm -hmm. And I think pride is that, again, like when we talk about the protection, I think pride is one of those barriers that we put up as a way to protect ourselves. And we don't want to, I guess there's sitting below the surface of that pride is that sense of ego that when it gets bumped or nudged into, it can come out in all kinds of ugly um, ways for people. And yeah. and for me, in some sense, um, pride is just wanting to be protected and wanting to be, um, yeah, I guess, guarded from the reality of some of the situations or feeling like in some way or to some degree that I've fallen short. Mm, yeah. I mean, everything you said just rings true. Any more? I mean, we got greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the the root cause of it or core of it, but I would definitely think there's this degree of envy that sits within there as well. Yeah, I, I was kind of envy, thinking that, but I didn't want yeah. to answer that for you. <laughs> you can sometimes see it, right? I do, but sometimes I don't want to answer it. And I think envy sits in there. And I, I think envy... Um, the reality of that becomes more aware when you see other people experiencing what you want. 
And I think right now where we see the reality of that is that, you know, people in our world and our expanded world and our sphere of influence, we see them starting families and, you know, often someone will have a conversation with you, they'll say something like, oh, we accidentally got pregnant or like we've accidentally, you Don't know, you just want to hit them a little bit, like smack <laughs> them, like just, or kick them in the knee and like run. Well, <laughs> like, definitely. I mean, if you were operating from that place of deep envy, like the natural response is like, oh, I hate you so yes. much right now. Yeah. And yet every part of you wants to be so, so happy for them and so grateful that they've got that opportunity. And so again, like I, you can see where some of these things at the core belief can really affect how we respond and, and how we engage in those moments. What about anger? Yeah, I think anger is definitely there at times. Um, I think where it's, um, it wouldn't be the thing that I think sits at the forefront of our conversations because I think we've reconciled um, to ourselves that this is not some kind of um, secret to be stored away nor some kind of problem or puzzle to be figured out. Mm-hmm. And I think with that, allow it allows us to be able to kind of take each step as it comes. But there's definitely moments. And again, those moments tend to come in waves where it's like, it's frustration and then it gets outworked through anger and it's anger, not necessarily at anyone or anything, but it definitely can be expressed in that way. Yeah. And it, and it can come out in a number of ways. Um, it, it can, it can come out at, you know, anger at, you know, I don't know that the, the universe or this frustration or, you know, it could be anger at God and you could be angry at these moments, or it could just be, um, you know, anger at the, at the situation again, like it just, I guess it gets expressed in different ways for different people. Yeah. So keeping the secret that you and your wife are holding for you two to go through this journey together, who do you think it's benefiting and who do you think it's harming right now? Well, I mean, it was so, so interesting to reflect on the conversation um, about sharing this story with other people. Um, because I think in many ways we're told there's some things you kind of just don't talk about. Right. And, you know, we yeah. don't talk about, you know, politics and money, money and all those kinds of things, but like, for some reason, this is also one of those conversations. <laughs> yeah. Infertility. Yeah. You and it's not a conversation that we have. Yeah, and because I think be. in some ways people are a bit, we absolutely we should. And I think for some reason we were, um, we grew up in an environment where because you didn't have these conversations, we didn't really know how to have them. And so people would ask things through the lens of, um, you know, either curiosity or, you know, in, in a really genuine way. And it would feel really um, harmful or hurtful. And so now what people do is they stop asking questions And then as a result of that, you don't get to share any of your journey with people. And so people actually see one side of you, but don't see you fully. Yeah. They don't see like the struggle. They just see, oh, this is what happens. If someone came out and said, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Like, this is something I really want and I'm struggling and it's not happening. How much more love and, you know, would be available to you than when you're going through it by yourself. Oh, it's so true. I, I've, I've reflected on a lot lately. The big thing that I've kind of been digging deep into, and I love exploring like the origins of words and it's kind of a weird habit and weird kind of thing that I enjoy <laughs> doing. It's like, cause I love understanding the language and where words come from and how we arrived and what we were arriving at. And, you know, we were in this kind of global pandemic at the moment in Melbourne where I'm based, we're in this kind of lockdown at the moment. Oh, we and are often, too in LA. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is the kind of world we're living in, right? And what we've yeah. lost is this sense of contact and, and the ability to kind of touch and connect with other people. 
But then really what we kind of want in this place is to be cared for and to care for one another. And so I was exploring mm-hmm. some of the origins of these words. And, um, you know, contact is all about, you know, touch and connection is all about coming together and binding. But then when I looked at the origins of the word care, it actually comes from a German word. And it was a, the origin of the word is actually in the word lament or grief. Oh. And I was like, wow, I've never, I've never explored that before. And then I had this moment where I was reflecting, I was going, when are the moments in your life when you felt the most cared for? And there's a good chance the answer to that question is you've probably felt the most cared for when somebody's seen you in a moment of grief or in a moment yeah. of Yeah. And when you were in pain and suffering. And, and somebody- not just when you were in pain or suffering, but someone saw you. And I, I'm talking like really saw you. Yeah. Right? And there, there was this moment where we were experiencing this roller coaster of emotions and my wife reached out to a number of her friends and she calls it her girl gang and, and they talk about and have these conversations about the reality of where we're at. And um, recently um, someone else we knew um, announced this pregnancy and actually there's quite a few people, they all announced their pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously, again, like another one of those little daggers in the heart. And then the next day um, we get this delivery at our door and it's this box of donuts. And it was from one of these, these, these close friends of ours. And they were just like, we just want to know that we see you. And we know that that was, that's really hard. And and it was that moment and I was like, that's care. Like when you were grieving, when you were hurting and somebody sees you in that moment, that's what it means to really truly feel cared for, I think. Oh my God, I'm like about to cry. <laughs> First of all, I love donuts. And second of all, that is the <laughs> sweetest thing because like in, especially in, I don't know if the friends were the ones that announced or in that group, it's like, to actually see the people that are struggling in this moment of joy and to reach out and with that unconditional compassion, it's that empathy. And I'm just getting so emotional, but that was, that so sweet. Because those are the moments, right? And I think like if you were to reflect or even if people who are listening were to reflect on those moments when they felt deeply cared for, it was because they were in some degree, they were hurting, right? And Mm -hmm. probably like us, we put up the protective barriers and we go, okay, I don't want you to see me hurting. And I think this is part of the conversation around like why we don't talk about this openly. It's like, because if I tell you I'm trying for a family and I'm I'm potentially really excited about it and then it doesn't happen, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to be hurting. And I don't don't want you to see me hurting. But really what I've realized is that the best gift you can give yourself is that courage to be seen in that grief. And actually the best gift we can give to other people is to be able to really see them uh, right. when they're experiencing that. It makes such a difference for people. It really does. I, I mean, every single person I know that was struggling with this, it felt so much better to reach out and to be a part and just say, I'm here. I, I know you're in pain. You'll get through this. You'll get to the other side. But then you have moments too when, I, for instance, I can't say who they are, but you know, if someone has another miscarriage and another person says, please don't tell me about them anymore. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, how can you do that at such an um, incompassionate time, I guess? So yeah. it's, it's also picking the right people who you want to share that with and ha- get the caring from and all that. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's why it's so important. Like the conversation around community is that, I mean, you can only be cared for to the degree in which you allow people to see you. Right. And 
there's a difference between going out there and, you know, every month putting on Instagram or posting, Hey, it didn't happen again. Like it's this, do you know what I mean? But yet, and, and it's kind of like a, a, that seems like a bit of an unusual thing to do, but I think there's a definitely a space where your community is, whatever that community is for you, whether it's a close friend, whether it's a group of friends, um, but there are people that are close to you. It's kind of like someone going for a job and going, I don't really care about the job. And then when they didn't get the job, you go, Hey, did you get the job? They're like, Oh no, I didn't get it. Like, Oh, it's okay. You didn't want it anyway. But yet really on the inside, what you really wanted was the job and you were so excited about the potential of it, but you've played it down because you didn't really want it. And people can only care for us to the degree in which we allow them to see us. And so it's that sense of going, Hey, I'm actually really excited about the job so that when I don't get it, my friends know, Hey, they were really looking forward to that. I didn't get it. How can I be there to support them? And I reckon this is uh, where the conversation um, piece around community makes it so important is that we've got to have these conversations and we've got to be able to talk to one another um, and allow them to see this. Especially as a man, because yeah. I have to say as a, as, as women, we do share a little bit more, but I feel like now it's opening up for men to really be authentic in their struggles, be authentic in their fears and their sadness. And are you feeling yeah. that's opening up? I mean, yeah, it, it is. And it isn't at the same time, because <laughs> I know there are some conversations that we can have really openly and honestly with, with good friends of mine, mm-hmm. but then I still know that there's still, I can recognize that there's sometimes these barriers that sit between us. And there's like, there's two conversations taking place and, and in every room, there's two conversations. There's a conversation we're having out loud. And then there's a conversation we're having in our head. In our head. And yeah, exactly. And part of this is how do I make sure that what's going on in my head is, is, um, given space to in between the conversation that we're having out loud. And I think as guys, we're, we're potentially, we're still learning. We're still getting better at it. Well, I have one more question for you before you go. How do you plan on moving forward? Well, I, I definitely think the biggest lesson that we've taken away from this experience is that when we allow others to see us in those moments where we're at the bottom of the roller coaster, not just kind of the top of the roller coaster. I mm-hmm. think when we allow people to see us in those moments, then we can feel that we're cared for. And so I guess we're just continuing our conversation and continuing our decision to let other people in on our journey. Uh, because when we let them in, then when we can see they, and they can see us, then we can feel cared for. Um, it's, it's kind of not enough for us to go, nobody cares about me. Nobody's interested in me. When we haven't yet had the courage to allow them to see the parts where we need the most care. To show them those shadow parts. and, to, and Exactly. To, and to I love say, the way you described that. Yeah. Here, here, here's all the ugly. Here's all the like disappointment and, and, and I'm still okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this secret and this journey. And I'm going to be thinking of you and your wife. Thank you. I absolutely love, I love what you're doing. And, and what you're doing is you're bringing a spotlight to the shadows and you're bringing conversation to important conversations. And um, so thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.